your giving. I'm going to ask that Lawrence would stay up here. And uh, could we uh, keep the lights for an attitude of prayer? Because I want to preach this message as the Holy Ghost gave it to me. I just want to thank the Lord for this beautiful, powerful man of God. Let's give it up for Lawrence. Amen. He did a great job last week while I was gone. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews here in second service. John, in the first service, we're getting done with that book, and then by God's grace, I'll be preaching impromptu messages as the Lord gives them to me, and I have a few already in my belly. So I know all y'all on social media and YouTube, please be listening to first service. Make sure you go back and listen to it via our app or the YouTube or Facebook. Today, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been here now almost 10 weeks. This is the ninth week just in 11 because we've been going through these wonderful men and women of God. By God's grace, we'll complete it in the 10th week, which won't be next week because we'll have a guest speaker, so show up and watch what God will do. I'll be tag teaming with him. He's the leader of the Teen Challenge movement, a world challenge, David Wilkerson's um, movement that he handed over to his son, so we'll talk more about that later. But look at Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews chapter 11, starting here in verse 30. And we're not having the karaoke screen for July because I want you to get used to using your Bibles. Can I hear an amen for that? All right. So just trying to pastor you through the summer here. So if you don't have a paper Bible, we can get one for free if you can't afford it. Or uh, you can pull out your smartphone. Amen. Okay. Two verses. Two verses that I have the... Uh, the privilege of preaching to you for about an hour, which is my normal time of speaking to you, but only two verses to go on. And I'm not getting off easy by having the soft music play. You're going to see in just a moment what we're going to do with these two verses. And I can be here a lot longer than the hour, as you see, as what we're going to do. But it's going to require your participation. So let's get into it. Chapter 11, verse 30, known as the Hall of Faith. We learn about two right here, Joshua and Rahab. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And we know it was Joshua who led them. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. There they are. Preach it, preacher. Let's go. You ready? Okay, now here's the first thing that I want you to understand is that the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, is taking us through the history of Israel, starting with Caleb, if you remember, in that offering that he, uh, or excuse me, Abel, that offering that he gave to the Lord, and how Cain had killed him. Then moving on to Enoch and how he walked with the Lord. Noah, his faithfulness of being a man of integrity, surviving the flood in the ark with his family. Abraham taking on the assignment to be the progenitor of the Israelite people. And then moving on to his son Isaac, the child of promise to Jacob with the 12 tribes that eventually became known as Israel as Jacob's name was, was changed to. And then you have Joseph, the one that was brought to Egypt to be a, uh, a dreamer that his dreams came true for the success of the Israelites. And then after he died, they forgot about Joseph and the prominent position that he had and what he did for them. And they were then in bondage for about 400 years. And then 
God raises up Moses. And despite Moses' mistakes, God uses him to deliver the people of Israel. And they pass through the Red Sea to where we are now in the story that Joshua, the assistant of Moses, is going to take them to the promised land. They're going to conquer that land, but here's the deal. They're not going to do it by the force of an army, by coming and scaling the walls. They're going to do it by marching around the city. Now, I want you to think about this for a little bit. Why is it in the history of Israel such a big deal for that promised land? Well, that goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. Go with me quickly to Genesis chapter 15, verse 3. When God was promising uh, Abraham the land, there was a slight problem. People were already living in it. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. And so notice what God speaks to Abraham known as Abram at this time. And just look to chapter 15, verse 1 to get the context. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And so he starts to talk to him about the promise of having a child and how he's going to bring about this wonderful nation through him. Now go all the way down to verse 13 as the land comes into notice here or comes into the context. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Some may say Egypt. Thank you. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. How many know God keeps his word? This is even before the 400 years has started. This is before Moses is even a twinkle in his mother's eye. God is saying to Abram, this is what it's going to be like. Verse 15, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and will be buried at a good age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Everybody get this. Somebody say the promised land is based on a promise. Get that in your spirit today. So God is speaking to Abram. We'll just call him Abraham because we know that's who he's going to be, the father of many. Father is Abram, but father of many is Abraham. And so here, God is speaking to him, giving him dreams and visions, telling him to look at the sand. I'm going to give you more descendants than the grains of sand on the seashore. Look to the stars. I'm going to give you more descendants than all of that. Walk around this land. I'm going to give you all this land. But hold up. Before this happens, your people are going to go into bondage. They're going to go into slavery for 400 years. And then they'll come back to this land because then those people who are there, their sins will have reached their limit and they'll be worthy of punishment. Now go to Leviticus chapter 18 verse 24. Somebody say, work the word. Amen. And trust me, I'm missing the karaoke screen just as much as you are right about now. Is my big Polish fingers trying to get the Bible to stop at Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers right here. Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, helping myself remember where it's at. Leviticus chapter 18. Those who are just staring at me, not doing it right, shame on you. Those who have already beat me, good for you. What's pastor doing? Waiting for the screen, I guess. No, you get to your Bible. 
work your word. If you got a smartphone, I'm not, for me, I'm not going to this. I got to use this. Amen. Okay. Genesis, uh, Leviticus rather, 18, verse 24. This is why we're doing this in our church because we got to get used to using the word of God again. Look at it. Verse 24. Now, this is after he gave them, he, he gave them all of these moral commands. And this is why you have to understand God does not judge the nations on the cloth that they use or how they sow the seed in the field. These were part of the 613 laws, but that was regulated to the Jewish culture. That's why in the New Covenant we can eat pork and bacon. Can I hear an amen from anybody that likes pork? And uh, we can eat shellfish, crawfish, all of that. That doesn't mean God has changed his moral code. No, that's the cultural change from the Jewish people being kept as a culture throughout all of that time there in the Middle East and then the new covenant. The morals of God don't change, but the customs do. Can I hear an amen on that? That's why in Colossians, he says, let no man judge you by what you eat or drink or by a holy day. These were all shadows of the things that were to come. The reality is in Christ. Do I want my wife or a shadow of my wife? I want my wife. Do you want a million dollars or a shadow of a million dollars? Okay, so that's what that was. But that doesn't mean we just throw out the Old Testament. No, all of it was fulfilled in Christ, and some of it continues in the law of Christ, from the law of Moses to the law of Christ. And so all of those things that are right before this, let me just give you an example here. Verse 18 of Leviticus, do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife. Continuing on to verse 19, don't approach a woman and have sexual relationships with her during her period. Verse 20, don't have sexual relationships with your neighbor's wife, defile yourself with her. Verse 21, don't give any of your children to Molech to be sacrificed. Y'all tracking with me here? Okay, now go on down right here. It says don't have sex with an animal. Verse 23. Now verse 24. Notice this, and by the way, verse 22, so everybody can see, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. So when people say, let me just, I want to park here a little bit longer. The soft music is helping. The reason why we consider homosexuality still a sin but not eating pork is because pork is a cultural law and sexual immorality is a moral law that stands in both covenants. The same one who said don't lie in the Old Testament means don't lie in the New Testament. Are you with me? But he said, somebody say he said. He said we could eat all food. That's in the gospel. He said to the Jews, it's not that which goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man from his heart come all the evil. Okay? So I just want you to see that. That's why these things are listed here, and they're reiterated in the New Testament. Jesus did not have to speak directly towards homosexuality no more than he had to speak toward child molestation. The reason why Jesus didn't have to say, don't molest a child, don't rape somebody, don't be a homosexual, is because when he said, in the beginning he made them male and female, and the two shall become one, and what God has joined together, let no one tear apart. That was sexuality right there. Anything out of a man and a woman coming together in marriage is a perversion of the original version. Does everybody get that? Rape is a perversion of a man and woman in marriage. Molestation is a perversion of a man and woman in marriage. Homosexuality is a perversion. You all get that? Of a man and woman in marriage. The reason why I say all that, because now notice this. Verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, these specific ways, not the clause, not the dietary laws, not, not the festival laws. No, do not defile yourselves in the, any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. 
You never hear in the story of the Bible a nation being punished because they ate crawfish. Amen? You never hear about a nation being defi- uh, uh, judged because they defiled themselves by mixing two cloths together. Or they sow two, kinds, uh, two different kinds of plants together, or garden vegetables. You never hear about that. But how many have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah before? That's because that's stuff on this list right here. And what you're going to hear about the land of Canaan here being destroyed, which he had said to Abraham, their sin had not reached its limit yet because he was giving them grace, even to these pagans. Because remember, God loved Nineveh enough to send Jonah. Many of you, let's just be honest, don't understand even why I'm taking this time to do this. This is not your part of the sermon yet. Trust me, that's coming up. But I still have to be a good preacher and give you the historical basis. But many of you struggle with the Old Testament God because you think he's unfair. No, listen, God was already dealing with these nations way back then in the time of Abraham. And he said, listen, I'm not going to judge them yet until their sins reach the limit. God is all-knowing, knows the future, but he does not force people's hands to make the future happen. Does everybody get that? I can know the outcome. This is the best way I can explain God's foreknowledge to us in the the world that we live in. I can know the outcome of when the Cubs won the World Series. But that doesn't mean when I replay that game, I am now forcing the hand of the pitcher to do this and the batter to do that. Everybody tracking with me? In a like manner, not exactly, but in a like manner, God can see and know the future, but that doesn't mean he's in the future or even in the present doing us like puppets. Is everybody tracking? So he knew that they were going to continue on being how they were. He knew that that was going to happen and that his solution to the problem was going to be to remove them from that land and put his people there. He knew that was going to happen, but he was never going to make one person sacrifice a child, make one person do a homosexual act. So the way I look at it is is God gives you, listen, the responsibility of free will. Therefore, you are responsible responsible for your own decisions. God is not the author of evil, but he is the one who gave you the choice between good and evil. Whether you choose good or evil is up to you. You are responsible. You will be held responsible to the things that were within your choice and your human volition. So notice what he says right here. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. And then he begins to talk to them. He is both speaking of times in the past and towards the future of why he does judgment. Now, going to our passage in Hebrews. Joshua is about ready to go conquer this land that God said, I've had it up to here. I'm done watching them murder their children like we do in America in abortion clinics. That's all abortion is, is the modern sacrifice to the demon god of Molech. Whatever was the inspiration of Molech to those people for them to set their children on the burning cauldrons of that idol to get the blessing of the sky god and the rain god, whatever made that an idea to them came from a demon that is still with us today telling a mom the best solution to your problems is murder. And we rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. He saw it and he said, I've had it up to here. They're killing their children. 
He said, I had it up to here. Men trying to be women, women trying to be men, having homosexual uh, sex with each other, having, uh, you know, the sex with the children, uh, you know, sexualizing the children even as we do today. He said, I've had it up to here. I'm driving them out of the land. And so Moses gets a spy from each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. We remember Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, and his boys became the 12 tribes. And so when they come out of Egypt, there's 12 tribes, and he, he gets each one of these uh, tribes to pick a spy to go spy out the land that they're now going to conquer after they've come out of Egypt with miracles and the enemies of God being plagued for months and being, being killed in the Red Sea. He says, boys, go spy out the land it's ours and get ready to go and yet when they come back they come back with a little bit of good but a whole lot of bad at least 10 of them do out of the 12 they say the grapes are the sizes of watermelons the the fruitfulness is there it's a land of milk and honey oh it's beautiful but then they begin to talk about there's giants in the land and we were like but grasshoppers before them And they start to get scared. The same ones who saw water come out of a rock and bitter waters turn sweet. The same ones who ate manna. The same ones who saw the Red Sea drown the enemies of God are now turning against the Lord who had told them through Moses to go. And because of that, only two now are spared, Joshua and Caleb. And the rest of those spies are judged. And then a curse comes upon the children of Israel. How many know these Sunday school stories? If you're new to church, you're learning them now. And then God says, I will allow all of you to die in the wilderness because you complained and rebelled against me. And the very ones that you were concerned about, your children, who you thought would get eaten up by those giants in that land, they're going to wait until you die, and then I'm going to bring them over. That's the story of the Bible. There's a story within a story. Let me just share a couple things here with you. I don't need you to get to my promised land. I'll go without you. You can die in the wilderness. It's between you and God. I'm going with or without you. You better have that Holy Ghost tenacity inside of you. You're not dependent on me. I'm not dependent on you. Whatever God said as a promise, I'll go. You'll go dependent on your responsibility, your response to God. See, I made a decision for this church to serve the Lord for 100,000 disciples, 50 churches, 500 planted around the world. And that's between me and God as a pastor, whether they come or go or not. I'm going to be faithful to the Word. And then you got to look at your dreams and visions for your family, your job, your ministry, if it fits into what we're doing here. And you've got to decide whether or not you're going to dedicate your life to it. Because God, everybody listen to me right now, God is not dependent on you. God can raise up the rocks and have them cry out louder if he wants to right now. But God wants to partner with us. Sometimes people say, oh, he had to create us because he was lonely up there. No, blessed Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that's the basis for our family is in the triune family of God. They already had a relationship based in eternity, loving one another. They didn't have a need to love anybody ever else again. But they wanted to. 
make us in their image and make us a family of plurality to reflect their image. In the image of God, he made us male and female to have children, father, son, child. Are you listening? Or father, wife, child, father, son, Holy Spirit. Help me, Jesus. No transgenderism, any of that stuff going on here. You know what I meant. But now watch. They get scared. They get cursed. And now Joshua and Caleb are older men. And they've watched the young ones grow up. And now it's their turn to go. Mom and dad have died. Come on, young ones. You're not so young anymore. Are you ready to cross over the Jordan and go to the promised land? And you can almost imagine their, their feeling at this point. They probably hype, man. They're, they're probably going to be different than their parents. You know, their parents were scared and got cursed and died. So they, I can just imagine, look at Joshua and say, let me at him. Let me at him. Come on, Joshua. Give me a sword, man. I grew up hearing these stories. I'm tired of having the manna. I'm ready for the milk and the honey. I'm ready. Give me a sword. But then God says to him, Joshua. This is how you're going to take the land. You're just going to march seven days. The first six days, one time, and nobody says anything. Man, could you imagine that? In the presence of your enemies... Could you imagine just like we're going to go to ISIS right now. We're going to camp out to where they're living, and we're not bringing out any of the drones. We're not bringing out any of the weapons. We're just going to march around them. You want to talk about faith. I think I saw somebody up there do something. Get my arrow. Come on, man. You know you're going to be jittery, man, walking around this place that your parents were afraid of. This place that struck so much fear in their heart that they were willing to stay in a desert and to take God at his word. Now it's your turn, but you're not going with the sword. You're not going with the bow. You're not going with the catapult. You're just going with your sketchers on a walk. Man, that's why I got to wear sketchers, man. This is the most comfortable shoe because I'm always standing, it seems like. You're just going for a walk. You want to talk about faith. Man, you're like, let me at him. Like, man, I'm ready for these dudes, man. I'm tired of being in this desert. I'm tired of this. Man, I'm ready. But God says, no, that's not how we're going to do it. You're going to trust me. And you're going to march six days in a row, one time a day. And you're not going to say anything. And then on that seventh day, you're going to march seven times. And then we're going to take out the catapult like they did in Lord of the Rings. We're going to get that big ball with fire on it and shoot it up there. No. And then we're going to scale the walls with our ladders. No. And then we're going to have the arrows blot out the sun because we're going to send so many over. No. You're going to shout. You're going to shout. You're going to give me praise in the presence of your enemies. You are going to give me a crazy praise. They're going to look down on you and say, what? Imagine that. We marching around the Sears Tower, whatever they call that building now. What do they call the Sears Tower? It's always the Sears to me. Willis, yeah, we're going to march around the world. People looking down at us. And then on that seventh time, on the seventh day, shout 
for victory. And the Bible says the walls came down. And then it was, go get them, boys. And they went in there with the sword. And they were commanded not to leave anything alive, male or female, uh, young or old. Some people might think, well, that was very harsh of them. That gets us to the second part of the story. And I have a link in my notes. You can also see it on our app for you to study this out as they have done excavation of the walls of Jericho. Yes, they can show the walls of Jericho have fallen down. And yes, they can see that it was burned down after that, burned to rubble and, and to just to ash after that because that's what they were told to do. Other than Achan trying to keep some for himself, which he got cursed for. But they could see the walls have come down and they've been charred with, with fire. Everybody get this. You check the link. It's up to you if you want to believe it or not. But they have excavated Jericho and there's one part of the wall that's still standing. <laughs> that's because... When they had to go and do the, the deed, Joshua sent out two spies this time. Not 12 like Moses did, but he sent out two. And he said, just go make sure everything's ready as we get to go marching. And as these two spies went out, they found out that there were Israelites in the land. And this is why I know not everybody had to die that day, including the children, because there was one prostitute named Rahab, who was sitting on her porch, keeping her eyes on the block, and recognized two people that don't belong. And she said, come on in my house. I think I know who you are because I've been hearing rumors that the Israelites are coming to spy out our land. And so Rahab, this prostitute, brought in these men, not for ill intention, but to bless them and care for them. Gave, him, gave them all the information that they needed, sent these men on their way, covered the trail when the bad guys came. But right before the good guys left, they said to Rahab, since you helped us, tie a scarf around your window. And when this thing goes down, you and your family, who's ever in here, will be safe. You go check out that link. I tend to believe these guys. This is not a quick little TikTok video where they make up stuff and we all look dumb as Christians because we believe it because we're gullible. No, these are professional archaeologists with the pictures on site. And they say, here's a part of the wall that didn't go down. See, that's Rahab and her family's wall. That's part of where they lived. Hallelujah. Because God kept his word. And when you look at the story, you can see it hidden even in this verse. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In other words, what that teaches us is that God was just to judge that community because for years and years and years they had been sinful and when they knew their judgment was coming, they could have left and got out of Dodge. But those who were rebellious and said, I'll stay, they lost everything that day. Just like we, during the time of World War II, said we're going to bomb these places and sent down our pamphlets. Anybody who stayed, stayed in those places felt the power of an A-bomb. 
That's how it was done back then. They said, we're coming and we're going to conquer. And whoever stayed was worthy of their own judgment. And so Rahab was obedient and she was spared. Somebody say, make it plain. Today, you have a choice to make. Will you get up and march and worship God and take him at his word? Or will you just stay where you're at complaining while everything around you falls apart? God is asking us today to take him at his word. In the next few moments, we're going to do something that we've done in different times, but I want us to do it today with this in our heart as these people marched around that city. And that is in the next few moments, I'm going to ask you as a congregation, one at a time, to stand up in this place. And you don't have to march. That's up to you. We won't think you're weird if you do. But one at a time, young and old, to stand up and to shout at the wall that you are facing and to call it down in the name of Jesus. Because there's something about a shout that wakes you up and the person next to you and the devil himself. There's something about a shout, they say. Even those who do therapy with those who struggle with panic attacks and anxiety, that if you shout out in those times, you release endorphins and that you speak to yourself in a way that gets your attention and out of your own head. They have taught it to soldiers before they go out to let out a battle cry. You've seen it in the movies. They teach it to athletes, to those who practice martial arts, to let out a shout. See, but some of you here, I can already get the vibe of some of you here. Well, Joe, you don't know me. I'm shy. No, if you want your wall to come down, your shyness can't hold you back today. It's time to shout. Oh, well, I'm just a visitor. I, I don't know anybody here. Even a better reason to shout. We'll get to know you today. You see, because here's the deal. Everybody that day had to do it. Everybody that day had to break that curse that was off of their family when everybody decided to rebel. So each person for their own tribe, their own family, had to make that decision. I'm standing with my people, and I'm walking shoulder to shoulder with them. And when they shout, I shout. Because I need a part of that promised land. I can't just let my neighbor get it. I got to get it. I need to have a part of that for my generations and children's children, children. So when they shout, I got to shout. When they get the victory, I got to get the victory. And too often we in church, we get so sophisticated that we read these stories and we forget the faith that they had. And so I know there's not a literal wall here today, and I know that there's not going to be the trumpets of the priests and all that happening. But I just dare to believe that somebody's faith is going to break through today. I just dare to believe that as we break out of the mold of a Sunday service where I shout at you for a little bit, and every now and then you shout back, and other than that, maybe we sing our shouts and everybody shouts at the same time so there's no real skin in the game. I want to encourage you today to let it out. 
husband and wife, moms and dads, even with their kids holding hands, going one at a time, because I want to hear the kids today too. Because we got to be people of faith. And no one here should judge you. And if you feel judged by anyone, you come talk to us because we don't do that here. I want to be free from pornography. Nobody should look at you any different than they did before. I want to be free from homosexuality. Oh, to God, somebody would scream that today. You might hear some shouts after that. We'll get excited. I want to be free from an affair. Well, we might have to do marriage counseling if your spouse is here right after service. But at least it's out now and you're free. I wish a culture would know how to shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. I wish we would know how. Because I'm going to say this before we get to doing it. And I'm ready for awkward silence. And if it's a short service after this, I don't know. I might shout at you some more about why you're not shouting. You know, we'll see how it goes. But I would like for you to carry the rest of the service. Shouting out to God. And if you want to run up to this altar and then just start to get in his presence, you can. But here's the thing. I want you to understand this. You were made to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You were made for this. You weren't made to go to concerts and shout for people in tight dresses and all of that. You weren't made, listen, you weren't made to just shout for a person dribbling a ball down a court. You weren't made for that. You were made to shout to God and to let out your energy and to put it on Him now. Because after you shout, that's on God now. Does everybody get that? After I shout, for a hundred thousand or for my marriage or whatever I'm going to feel in that moment when I want to do it, you know, whenever that shout comes, man, I can't make it happen. My shout, you know, think about the shouting of the Israelites in physics did not equal the coming down of the walls. Sometimes people try to be real smart with the Bible. They go back over and say, well, every miracle you can find a natural explanation. So when it says they crossed over the, you know, the Red Sea, it was really a creek. It was dry at that time. Well, then that makes a bigger miracle. God drowned an entire army in a creek. (laughs) Well, you know, they try to always do, well, you know what? The vibration of the shout brought the walls down. No, man, come on. No, you can't shout down a wall no matter how loud you shout. That's concrete. That's that's some heavy stuff there. So what what we're saying as Christians, it, it isn't something in the natural. Well, Lazarus, he was just sick, and they thought he was dead, and they put him in there pretty early. Uh, so he was just recovering. And so when Jesus was shouting, he woke up. Oh, what's going on? You thought I was dead? Why am I in this? No, no, no. There's there's not a natural explanation. This is this is not. Your way equals God's miracle. No, no, no. This is your obedience plus God's power equals God's miracle. Because the miracle is in God's power, but he wants your obedience. So I can't promise you today, I want a million dollars and get out of student debt. And then you go to your phone and you check your app. Oh man, I'm still, I'm still in trouble. It didn't work. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is your shout sets you up for what God does next. Because otherwise, all you got is just what you have right now. And I don't know about you, but I'm done with what I have right now in the natural. I don't just want a storefront church. I want a church that's planted on every block in this city. 
I want something that goes beyond the Roman Catholic Church. I want St. Viators to get jealous of us. Are you listening? I want St. Ignatius to go, hey, how are these these Metro Praisers now coming up like we are? Because you notice everywhere you go, there's a Catholic Church. I want them to drive around and say, there's another one, there's another one. With all of our free programs and all of the things we do, can you imagine that? Come on, somebody. And I want every one of my six children serving Jesus. And trust me, you don't get that just by shouting. That has to take a miracle. But I will shout unto the Lord. Whatever that is, are you tracking with me? I'm going to shout unto the Lord because I'm going to let him know this is all that I got. And I'm putting my faith in you. The Bible says those who hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. Whoever stands up and shouts, and I hope every single one of you do, Whoever stands up and shouts will not be disappointed because whatever begins to happen next, you'll know God's involved in a special way because I believe our faith does not go without a reward. The Bible says he rewards those who diligently seek him. We've already learned that in the beginning part of Hebrews. You're not supposed to read these stories and be the same. And so because I couldn't afford enough lumber for each one of us to build an ark, You know, because I couldn't make sure that each one of you were circumcised and you're going to offer up your only child on an altar. I'm picking this one right here, amen, for us all to be a part of in this service. Father, I ask you now over the next 30 minutes, God, that each one of your precious sons and daughters here, Lord, God, they'll make a determination in their heart not just to stay in their seats, but in a few moments one at a time, to shout with a voice of victory that which you have promised them. And for them to declare by faith, oh God, that you're able, you're able, you're able, you're able. You can do all things. And Father, we trust you now. In this moment, oh God, of what would look like to the world as crazy faith. But Lord, we just call it obedience. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Brother, turn down your keyboard and let's hear some shouting. One at a time. If someone interrupts, wait for that one to finish. And then we'll get ready for the next one.
few minutes. If you're going to shout, get it out now. No one has to if they don't want to, but it's just a few more moments. your chance no one's going to make you do it it's up to you a few more though i know there's quite a few of you that haven't but a few more can do it right now jesus
Jesus. Do it, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's all stand up now, please. Any more shouting will have to be after I dismiss. Thank you for honoring the Lord. I felt so much breakthrough during that time. I, I know it was emotional for many of you. Thank you for your bravery. I don't know what it was like that day when they marched and they shouted, but I feel like I felt a little bit of it, man. So many of your testimonies came through in your desperation. You know why? Because the Bible says 
that they overcome him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and not loving their lives even unto death. I heard courage in your cries. Even some of you, the most desperate, I heard a testimony that you're going to trust God today. So I don't know what waits for you outside of these doors. You may get tested the moment you leave here. There may be a barbecue that turns bad. I have no idea. But this is what I know is that the God you shouted to today says you have the victory. You have the victory. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Today the victory has broken through here. And I will take that every day. I will take a victory of the soul over what I see because I know what I see is temporary. But what I have here is eternal. And as the old preachers used to say, if it doesn't change out there, it changes in here. Amen? And as by God's grace we get to the last week of this uh, part of Hebrews chapter 11, I'll just give you a little taste of it now. He, he goes into just running off, machine gunning off these mighty men and women of God. And then he, he talks about, you know, what they did and how they raised the dead and how they conquered kingdoms. But then he, he just takes a turn. And then he said, but some were sawn in two. Some had to go around in sheepskin and night hiding from cave to cave. Some of them were killed. And he says, the world was not worthy of them. So it's in life or in death, in, in, in miracle or in hardship, when we win or when we lose, to God be the glory and the victory. That's what will keep you strong. That's what will keep you from the next situation to give up. That's what will keep you going so that when you hand the baton to your generation, to the one that comes after you, to your children and your children's children, they'll be able to say, Mom, Dad, Grandfather, Grandmother, held on kept the faith. Like, like Paul said, finish the race in Jesus' name. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come please? We're going to dismiss now those who would like to stay and pray and worship. We'll call it the after party. You're more than welcome to do that. Any of those things you shouted out about, you want to pray with them about, they'll do it with you. Otherwise, we're going to dismiss to have a wonderful three-day, four-day weekend for some of you. Father, I thank you that you brought us here today to be inspired by the faith of Joshua and the Israelites as well as Rahab, O oh God. I pray now, O oh Lord, what we've entrusted to you, you will keep. And Lord, you will do what only you can do. And we'll see victory in this place. We'll see lives changed. We'll see family members saved. We'll see generational curses broken. We'll see revival come to Chicago. We'll see abortion in. We'll see young people on fire for you. We'll see perversion be dismissed and, de and defeated in the name of Jesus and your glory come until your glory covers this earth as the waters do the sea. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can you bless them, saints? Bless them today if you believe. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Come pray with us or worship. Either way, we pray you have a great holiday weekend. God bless you.